Our scripture reading for today is Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14 and 18 through 20. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 18, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, Many lives live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord for us. Did you know the average American has an attention span that is only eight seconds long? Which is why I planned my cartwheel for exactly nine seconds into this sermon. No, just kidding. A gymnast, I am not. Uh, we're, we're at an all-time low in regards to distraction. Like, our world is one that's noisy and flashy and bright. It's loud. I, I think, if you're like me, you feel pulled in all sorts of different directions. It's hard to keep your focus. Like, have you ever been in prayer and your mind is going all these different directions? <laughs> You're trying to set your mind and your heart on the Lord. You're trying to spend time with Christ, and you're thinking about all kinds of other things. Your mind is just wandering all over the place. Maybe I'm the only one. Or, or have you ever been in the Word, and you read a, a passage or a page of Scripture, and you get to the bottom, and you're like, what did I just read? <laughs> like, what was, I, what was I even thinking about as I, as I walked through that? Again, maybe it's just me. <laughs> Some of you are shaking your head like, no, it's not just you. I, so I, I think we live in a world full of distractions, that, that there are lots of things vying for our attention. We've got schoolwork that needs to be done. We've got jobs that demand so much of us. Um, our finances need our time and attention and uh, our relationships and, of course, our cell phones. <laughs> and, of course, the... Uh, the political news headlines. <laughs> All of those things are, are demanding our attention. Like, we've just come through an election season. Um, you know, as I think about that, it's, it's like sometimes the vote goes your way and you're elated. And other times it seems like those people on the other side of the aisle are gaining ground and it gets you upset and you're depressed and you're fearful. Here's the good news that the Bible shares with us is that we are encouraged to live with heaven in mind, <laughs> with heaven in mind. And so we heard it from the scripture this morning in Philippians 3 and verse 20, that Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. And so today, as we continue this great study through the book of Philippians, we're going to learn the way to do that, three ways to, to embrace and recognize that our citizenship is in heaven. In fact, I'll give them to you now, and then we'll walk through this together. But it is to look ahead, look around, and look up. So let me introduce myself. My name is John Reisner. I serve as the lead pastor here at MCA. I am thrilled that you're with us today. And I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So as we study this book of Philippians, we're discovering the contagious joy of following and serving Jesus. And so we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. Uh, and we're going to have this challenge, as I mentioned, to embrace our role as citizens of heaven. So I want you to hear this clearly this morning. 
You do not belong to this world. I'll say it again. Because every eight seconds our minds wander and tend to think of something else. Like, what did I put in the crockpot for lunch? What is the person next to me wearing? So let me say it again, because I want you to hear the, the truth this morning. You, child of God, you, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you, choosing to follow Christ, you do not belong to the world. You belong to a kingdom that is quite different. You are a citizen of God's eternal and forever kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom that's going to come to an end one day. So Jesus says it really clearly. This is not an idea that I came up with, by the way. Uh, Jesus says this very clearly in John chapter 18 and verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, where's John going with this? Because shouldn't we be a force for good in our world? Shouldn't we be influential, helpful, kind, impactful? To which I would say, yes, absolutely. We should. Um, it doesn't mean, so we're not from this world, but that does not mean that we are not of any use to this world. I want to be clear on that. Uh, as citizens of heaven, we gladly serve others. We work with all of our hearts, if we're, doing, if we're doing it biblically, we work with all of our hearts as working for the Lord, not for men. So part of our joy comes from knowing that there's more to life than this. Part of our joy comes from that knowledge of that this is, this is a temporary assignment. And so yes, we press on with the temporary assignment, working as if unto the Lord. Uh, I personally think the ones who make the least impact are the ones who don't have the eternal heavenly perspective. Why do I say that? Because they're grappling with, is there anything more? (laughs) And I'm not going to give names or cite sources in this particular sermon, but I've seen it uh, almost my entire life. People achieving things at the highest level and not being satisfied and just wondering, is this all there is? Because this is what I've been working for. This is what I've been devoting my life to. And it still feels meaningless and empty. So I would actually say it's the people who aren't heavenly minded that are the least impact in this world. Because they know something deep within them recognizes there's got to be something more. So when I say you belong to a kingdom that's not of this world. I don't mean you don't have a a nationality or citizenship. Most of us are citizens here in the U.S. I, I don't mean we don't have that. What I mean is we are more importantly part of a kingdom where Jesus is in charge. And that supersedes any national boundaries. We're, we're part of a kingdom where Jesus leads us. So we're not talking about a governor or a senator or a president. We're talking about Jesus. He's the one in charge. He's the one with authority. And so he helps us when we have this uh, choice to be a part of his kingdom. He helps us have an eternal perspective. And, and what that does is our focus isn't on earthly things. It's on things that are going to last forever. So our focus isn't on the things that one day will cease to be. Our focus is on the things that will forevermore continue in. A life that goes far beyond this one. And maybe you've heard the story of a woman who was talking with her pastor. She was nearing death and planning for her own funeral. And she told him she wanted to be buried with a fork in her hand. Have you heard this one? She said she wants to be buried with a fork in her hand. The pastor's like, this is really unusual. I mean, I've done a lot of these. I've never heard of, heard of this. Well, why? 
And so she explains it to him. Like, um, she's been to a lot of socials and dinners and gatherings, and it's, it's when uh, the, you're clearing the plate and someone might comes up and says, uh, hey, uh, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. That she, that she realizes, oh, there's going to be dessert. There's going to be some chocolate cake or apple pie or you know, something really good is coming. And so she says, when I'm in the casket, I want to have a fork in my hand. And she says, people are going to wonder what in the world is the fork doing in her hand. And she said to the pastor, I want you to tell them it's because the best is yet to come. An eternal perspective that goes far beyond the sadness of this life ending. And yes, we grieve when we lose a loved one. But we recognize the best is yet to come. So if you've got your Bibles with you, let's turn together to this book of Philippians chapter 3. Last week we studied verses 1 through 11. Jeremy Hosteller, our associate pastor, preached and did a fantastic job. Uh, We learned that the greatness of knowing Christ makes everything else look like garbage. And so today we're going to pick it up at verse 12. We're in Philippians chapter 3. We'll go all the way through the end of the chapter Lord willing. (laughs) Here, Paul shows us where our focus should be. Okay, our focus isn't supposed to be on things of the world, the earthly things. Where should our focus be? And it begins by looking ahead. Like we just talked about with the fork in the hand, that the best is yet to come. We've got an eye toward those things that are yet to come. So as we talk about the kingdom of God, we often say that it's already but not yet. It's already but not yet. And what that means is, yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God presides over creation and has since the day he formed it. And yes, in the unfolding plan of God's redemption, he ushered his kingdom in in a very special and significant way when Christ came as a newborn babe 2,000 years ago. When Christ then lived a perfect, sinless life and then offered his body on the cross as a substitute for our sins and then rose to life by the power of God on the third day. This is God's in-breaking reign into our world. So God's kingdom is here, but it's, it's a reality, but it's not yet been fully actualized or realized. There are wars. There is cancer. There's sickness and death and pain and hatred and racism and pride and materialism and selfishness, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Those things don't exist in a, in, in a kingdom that has been fully realized. And so God's kingdom is here, yes, but it's not fully actualized. It's not on full display until Jesus comes back. And until that happens, we press on. We continue on. And so let's begin in verse 12. We're in Philippians chapter 3. Not that I've already obtained this. Oh, I guess I need to pause real quick and <laughs> just, exp- just explain there uh, what, what this is in reference to. Uh, speaking of that final reunion with Christ, that final reunion when Jesus comes back will be with him for all of eternity. So not that I've already obtained that, Paul says, Philippians 3 verse 12, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You know, following Jesus really becomes this series of failures and successes. That's the life of following Jesus. Those of you who've walked with Jesus for year over year, for decade over decade, some of you are even nodding your head of, you've seen that. God's faithfulness in your life, even though your life has been this series or cycle, we could say, of failures and successes. We sin. We fall short. We miss the mark. 
we find ourselves again and again and again and again in need of God's forgiveness. But isn't it wonderful that each new day is an opportunity? His mercies are new each morning. Each day is a chance to surrender our lives to Christ. To ask him to lead us, to direct us, to choose again, to orient our hearts as a citizen of heaven. Now, there's a warning that comes here about dwelling on those past mistakes. Yes, we've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. We see these these patterns where God is faithful through our cycles of sin, disobedience, repentance, and coming back to Christ. But if we dwell on past mistakes, we're never going to grow. And so Paul continues on there then, verses 13 and 14, where he says, forgetting what is behind, right? So he's not obtained eternity, he's not obtained perfection in heaven, but forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so, yes, through our cycles of failure, we keep looking ahead. We keep finding ourselves in need of Christ to heal us and help us and guide us and teach us. And really, what I'm describing is being a disciple. Like, that, that's what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. That we are learning. We are growing. We are being transformed even more into his likeness until the day he returns. So until then, keep your eye on the finish line. Keep moving forward. Don't dwell on the past. Sometimes I think that that's one of really the greatest barriers to us moving forward with our eyes on the prize. One of the greatest barriers to our own spiritual growth. Why is that? Well, when I have conversations with people about your walk with the Lord, your, your spiritual life, sometimes I hear like, well, I was really on fire, on fire for Christ growing spiritually five years ago. Well, that's great. What about today? And it's not all just positive things in the past. I think it can be negatives in the past too. Like uh, we were all pretty hurt and discouraged and frustrated and upset. And uh, life was upside down in 2020. But it's almost 2023. It's almost 2023. And I'm not saying I don't want to hear you gripe and groan and complain about 2020. We live in a different world now. That's true. I want to acknowledge that. But I think we've got to learn to live in the present and even lean into tomorrow. That's what Paul encourages here. That we've got to press on in our relationship with Christ. We've got to press on rather than rely on those spiritual highs or those accomplishments of the past. Here's a great example of this. Um, a great cellist named Pablo Casals. He was very accomplished, world-renowned. And he lived to be a very old man. In fact, he was in his mid-80s. But he was still practicing his instrument with great fervor and zeal. Four, five hours each day, he's practicing his instrument. And someone asked him, why at your age and at the stage that you are, why are you still working so hard? And here's his response. Pablo Casals, great cellist, responds, because I have a notion that I'm making progress. <laughs> I think we need to have the exact same attitude as followers of Jesus. Why, after all these decades of being a Christian, why, after having read the Bible so many times, do you still depend on the Lord? Do you still seek Him? 
Because I have a notion that I'm still making progress. Because I'm still in cycles of failure and success in my spiritual walk, and I will be until Jesus comes back. So I think especially for those of us who are older, I think especially for those of us who are more mature in the faith, who have walked with Christ for decades, that we, that we need to press on, that we need this encouragement to keep looking ahead. Let's continue on. We're in Philippians chapter 3. We're at verse 15. Paul says this very clearly. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. You see, if we just rest on our spiritual laurels, if, if it's all the spiritual growth we've experienced is in the past, then we're probably not pressing on. Then we're probably not looking ahead. Then we're probably not living in the present, leaning into tomorrow, and that's what God would have us do. There's a man named Brian Clay who uh, dreamed of winning a gold medal in the uh, decathlon in the, in the Olympics. Ever since he was a, a boy, he grew up in Hawaii. Ever since he was a boy, he dreamed of winning a gold medal in the Olympic decathlon. He had the chance to accomplish that dream when he went to the Olympics a few years ago uh, in Beijing. Now, in the, in the decathlon, these athletes compete in 10 events, of course, over a period of just two days. 10 events in two days. And so... Uh, this guy, Brian Clay, he had a commanding lead going into the very last event. It was a 1,500-meter run. He had such a commanding lead that he essentially could have jogged the 1,500 meters. <laughs> he could have just, just taken his time, coasted through it, and he still would have had the gold. But that's not the way he saw it. So he gave it his all. He pressed on, even in that last event. And he did win the gold, of course. And so afterward, he was being interviewed by a reporter, and he asked him, like, at what point did you know that you had this wrapped up? At what point did you know you had the gold? Uh, and I love his response. He said, well, it wasn't until that last race, and it was almost over, as I was crossing the finish line. <laughs> he said, that's when I knew I won. He said, I've competed for eight years to try to be able to have the gold hanging around my neck. And if there was anything those eight years of competition has taught me, it's that in competing against the best in the world, in ten grueling events, anything can go wrong before you finish, before you cross that finish line. <laughs> like, he had an unusual attitude and approach. A lifelong dream of winning gold. And yet he didn't relax. He didn't let up until he had crossed the finish line in the final event. I mean, some of you are about to cross the finish line. You, you are in the last years of your life. I just want to say clearly to you, God wants to use you. God is not done with you. Don't just rest on your spiritual laurels. Don't just hearken back to the days of old and the things you learned, the Bible verses you memorized, the good ministry that happened. Think about today and how God wants to use you. He's not done with you. He wants you to continue looking ahead leaning into tomorrow and all that God still has for you. You still have a purpose. God still wants to use you to make an impact as part of his plan. So don't coast to the end. Keep looking ahead at all God has for you. So Paul encourages us here, be a citizen of heaven. Have a, have a view toward eternity by keeping our look ahead. He also says to look around. 
to look around. What, what we're going to see here is he's telling us to imitate others. In fact, uh, you might even have, depending on the English translation, you might even have a heading in your Bible uh, in this passage. This is something like looking to Paul's example or imitating Paul. Um, but we should be looking at those who look more like Jesus than we do. That we should allow their actions and their attitudes to rub off on us. Uh, another great story that I came across this week is the story of Antonio Stradivari, of course, uh, world-renowned for crafting these violins. Um, today, of course, the violins are priceless. They're millions of dollars. There are only about 500 of them. Uh, They've taken these violins and they've submitted them to these intense sort of scientific analyses. They're trying to figure out uh, how do we reproduce, right? Okay, so these are the best violins ever crafted, ever created. We want to reproduce them. Uh, the maker. Oh, so part of part of what impacts this story, by the way, is that uh, Stradivari was really only like semi-literate, and so he didn't write down. He, did, he didn't write anything down. Uh, he just simply crafted these these violins. So no one has been able to reproduce anything even near what he was able to. Uh, they know what materials he used by their analysis. Okay, he used spruce and willow and maple. They know he treated it then with uh, certain types of minerals and this sort of handmade varnish with honey and egg white. <laughs> what they don't know was the technique that he used. He never wrote it down. He, he did have a few apprentices, though. He had a few apprentices. So he had some individuals, some pupils, who, who studied at him. And it's the way they learned. It wasn't by studying the manual. It wasn't by reading the textbook. It wasn't the watch the YouTube video on how-to. It was elbow learning. That is, they sat at his elbow and watched. They sat at his elbow and watched. And I love that concept because I think following Jesus is really the same. That it, we, we learn by, by engaging and sitting at the elbow of others. By, by people who are a little farther along in their faith journey. Ones we respect and admire. Ones we look up to. It's not just reading a manual on the, on the subject. Yes, we have the scriptures that guide us. I'm not in any way diminishing the word of God. But God has given us godly influence and examples, and so we should capitalize on that. We should take advantage of that. We should get close to others who are following Christ that we can be inspired by them. So that's exactly what Paul says then. So we're ready for verse 17. We're in Philippians chapter 3. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have as a model, what does he say? Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He's saying, imitate people who follow Christ. He's saying, be an elbow student who can, who can glean from godly people. You grow close to Jesus. I want to be clear on this. You grow close to Jesus when you spend time around godly people. And so that's why it's so important <laughs> that you get connected. Like if you're part of our church family here at MCA... That's why it's so critical and imperative that you plug into one of our core groups or for our youth and children that you plug into our Sunday school program. It's why it's so critical that we gather. You know, we have a full Wednesday night program as well. We gather on Wednesday nights for, for children's ministry and youth ministry and Bible study to get into the word, to rub shoulders with other believers, to do life together. So I really hope that in your life and world, you can look around you and see people who you admire and respect. 
I hope that you can look around you and see in your life people that are setting a godly example. Like someone who knows how to pray. And you think, I want to be able to pray like that. Someone who loves their spouse in a way that inspires you. I want to love my spouse in just that way. This takes humility, doesn't it? (laughs) This takes me, this takes you recognizing I could be a better parent. And so I want to learn from people who have parented well and who have children who are walking with Christ. I could grow in my generosity. I could grow in my knowledge of, awareness of, and use of my spiritual gifts. I could grow in my faith. Unfortunately, bad influences are equally powerful. And the scriptures talk a lot about the dangers of unhealthy, ungodly influence. And Paul addresses it as well. Let's keep reading there. Verse 18. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again. Oh, doesn't he sound like a parent? (laughs) Paul is going full parent mode here with the church at Philippi. As I've told you before, and I'm telling you now again, and he says, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Did he say many profess to be against Christ? No. Did he say many are antagonistic and many say, I'm not a follower of Jesus? Did did he say many of them are out there trying to ridicule? No. What did he say? They live as enemies of the cross of Christ. These could be people who profess to follow him. But how do they live? He's saying, what is their example? How do they love their spouse, parent their children? What's their prayer life, etc., etc., etc.? They live, he says, as enemies of the cross of Christ. This is a warning. And it's not issued lightly. It's issued through his tears. I've told you before. I've got to tell you again, even through tears. Watch out for these people. They are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction. So he wants to be very clear on this. This is not the path of righteousness. This is not the path that glorifies God. This is not the path that leads to life. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And then what does he say about where they're looking? where their mind is set. The end of verse 19. Their mind is set on what? Say it again. The telltale sign. They're not thinking about kingdom. They're not thinking about eternity. They're not living under the lordship of Jesus. If you look closely at their life, they're living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. They're undisciplined. They don't have the fruit of the spirit demonstrated for you. And so there is a warning here. The encouragement, of course, is that your mind shouldn't be set on earthly things. But he says, watch out for those people that are in your life that are influencing you, that are this way. Telltale sign. Their mind is set on earthly things. What do they talk about? 
Do they talk about Christ? Do they talk about your walk with him? Do they talk about a longing for eternity in his presence? Or do they talk about money? Do they talk about health? Do they talk about all the affairs this side of eternity? Watch out. Beware. We should look around and see people who are a godly influence. So we've talked this morning about being a citizen of heaven and where we should have our focus. That we should look ahead, pressing on toward all the Lord has in store for us. That we should look around, inspired by the faith of godly examples. And then finally, we should look up. <laughs> Jesus is coming. We have, this, we have this good news from the scriptures. And I feel privileged and honored to be able to proclaim this good news. That the good news of God's plan of salvation... It's not only that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and to be raised to life on the third day. That's great news. It's also that he's coming again one day. It's that he went to prepare a place for us. Kind of like a, wait here, I'll be back. You know what you need to do. Make more disciples. Be unashamed about the gospel. Live for me. Make, a, make an impact. Be a godly influence while you're here. But I am coming back. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to complete the work he began in you. He's going to complete it. No longer those cycles of sin and standing in need of forgiveness. He's going to complete the work in you when you first trusted him. He's going to complete that transformation process. So that not only will our hearts and minds be forever changed, but our bodies will be as well. And we're going to be with him in heaven, which is our real home, which is where our citizenship lies. Oh, what a day that will be. <laughs> and think about this. The Apostle Paul, who of course has gone, to, gone into glory, he entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. Because we know something of his former life. He entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. Why? Because that's how the gospel works. Because that only happens when we put our focus on an eternal perspective. To say, it doesn't matter about today. He could have just dwelled on his past and his mistakes and forever been separated from God. His destiny could have been destruction, like the people who live as enemies of Christ. But instead, he set his mind on things above. He embraced the forgiveness and good news that Christ offered in his life. And now has a place with Christ for all of eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait for Jesus to return. I can't wait for heaven. And until then, we press on. Until then, we live as a citizen of heaven, even though we're here in this fallen world. And I think that this was a, a reality and a truth for the church at Philippi to embrace, just as it is for us. Like they would have been part of the Roman Empire. And yet, called to service and allegiance to Christ. So it is with us. We are citizens of heaven, even while living here on earth. And so I want to conclude this passage by reading the final two verses. Verses 20 and 21 in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul just brings it home. But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What good news that we are looking ahead and looking around and now looking up, eagerly awaiting the return of our Lord Jesus, that sure return. I heard the story about a man named Wilfredo Garza. He lived the life of an illegal immigrant for more than 35 years. So year after year, he's eking out his living by crossing the border, of course, from the Mexico into the U.S. Some days he'd find work, other days he wouldn't. He's constantly looking over his shoulder. Four times he was caught by border patrol, bust back across the border, back into Mexico. He'd swim across the Rio Grande. He'd try again. 35 years until one day, shuffling through some paperwork, Garza discovered he's actually a U.S. citizen. All those years, all that hassle, the freedom that was his, that could have been his, and he didn't enjoy it and he didn't know it. All those years of guilt, all those years of fear. What a graphic picture. And so I just want to issue a challenge to you, dear brother, dear sister in Christ. Don't be like Garza, who doesn't know his true citizenship and who struggles. But embrace the life that God has for you. Are you living as a citizen of heaven? Don't be like these people who, if you look at their life, they're living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Are you joyful? In pressing on to know Christ. And are you eagerly awaiting his sure return? Or have you allowed yourself to focus on earthly things? You know, here's the beautiful thing. In fact, our prayer team read this this morning from Revelation chapter 7. That at the end of the age, when we're gathered around the Lamb. It talks about people from every tribe and tongue and nation. You just get this picture of, it's not just people that look like us. It's not just people from Holmes and Wayne County. It's not just people from Ohio, from the good old U.S. of A. Every tribe and tongue and nation. All sorts of cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds and skin tones. That's a picture of eternity. Gathered around Christ, worshiping Him. So a very practical challenge is spend some time this week with the Lord. Prioritize your time for the Lord. Take a few minutes every day to get into the Word, to spend in prayer. You can even go to Philippians 3, 7, and 8 to talk about, we, we were in it last Sunday, but the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. That it is such a privilege, it is a blessing to be in God's presence. And anytime I talk with people about this, they always talk about how they're busy and they always talk about their time constraints. What are you going to choose? Might I suggest that you reduce something else? If that's your situation, maybe reduce your television watching or your time on Facebook or social media. Those things that are of little and temporal value so that you can pursue things that are of eternal value. Might I even suggest that you're living as an enemy of Christ if you're watching TV and on Facebook and not getting into the word of God. So I want to challenge you this week. Spend time with the Lord, seeking his face, pleading desperately that he would forgive your sins, 
that he would infuse your life with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Spend time with him. I also want to give you another assignment. This is perfect for this season of Thanksgiving. Take time this week, and it's going to take five minutes of your time, but write out a thank you note to someone who's had an influence and an impact in your life. Like, this might be the person that led you to Christ. This might be the grandma who always made sure you got to church. This might be the parent or the friend who just never gave up on you (laughs) through all seasons. But take a few minutes this week. Send them a thank you note for making an eternal investment in your life and in the kingdom of God. So church, we are citizens of heaven. We belong to Jesus. We're called to be a part of his eternal, forever, never-ending kingdom. Oh, how easy it is for us to lose focus, to get distracted, to start to lean into, spend time on, give our attention to the things of this world, the things of earth. But remember that woman who wanted to be buried with the fork in her hand. The best is yet to come. So let's press on. Don't lose focus. If you want that contagious joy of following and serving Christ, then look ahead to all he has in store. Look around for godly examples and look up to heaven. That, that is your rightful home. Let's pray together. Oh, great God. You are mighty, you are powerful, you are magnificent, you are eternal. We submit ourselves to you. We are grateful, Lord, for the privilege and the blessing of drawing near to you. A God who is close. We know what the scriptures say, that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. And so we are thankful that you are here. Would you help us, O God, to live not as enemies of the cross of Christ, but as a friend of God? Would you put people in our lives who will be a godly influence, who will inspire us to greater faith? I would even pray, Lord, that you would put people in our lives that we can influence for the good, whether those be neighbors or children, youth, people in our core group, people right here in this room that are part of the same great local fellowship, that in all of it, God, we would realign and reorient our hearts and minds to live under your authority and lordship, knowing that yours is a kingdom that does not end. And how we eagerly await your sure return, Lord Jesus, that you would find us ready, thankful, and hopeful. We pray these things only in his precious name. 